0: with Doctor Frank Turek.
1: Welcome to the "I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist" podcast. This is the midweek edition, and we are going to be bringing you an incredible topic. My name is Jorge Hill. I am covering for Doctor Frank Turek today, and I have my friend and colleague Doctor John Ferrer. And he's going to bring us an amazing topic. John, tell the audience what are you going to be talking about today.
0: I'm going to be speaking about a topic that is really close to my heart. Uh, it's an issue that my wife and I have worked over in different churches where this teaching came up. You might call it the health and wellness gospel. It's kind of a hmm. variation on the um, health and wealth gospel, or sometimes called the prosperity gospel. In, sometimes, yeah, nickname, I was going to say... Healing.
1: Yeah. yeah, in the line of the prosperity gospel that I mm-hmm. got to have enough faith in, on, in order to be well because that's what God wants for my life.
0: Yes, yes. you. The idea is that God wants everybody to be well. Sickness mm. is never God's will for your life, and God doesn't want or cause anyone to suffer from physical ailments. That's that's the heart of this, uh, this idea. Uh, so, in other often, words… Yeah. So, so, in other words,
1: what you're saying is uh, those who put forward this idea are saying then all the things such as sickness and ailments come directly from the devil, and God has absolutely nothing to do with it.
0: Uh, come from the devil or from people in their sin or come mm. from the fallen world. Um, but it, it's it's kind of a simplified account of of suffering and hardship in the world. Okay. It's, it's when you combine it with this doctrine that God wants everybody wealthy, then it becomes the health and wealth gospel or the more traditional prosperity gospel. But if you take out the wealthy uh, element and it's just that God wants everyone to be well, then you might call it the health and wellness gospel mm. or just a brand of faith healing. Uh, I don't know of a set term for it, but it's a distinct category of thought that uh, my wife and I have run into And it's, it really hits us hard because we both have chronic illness. I've got asthma, which hasn't been, um, that debilitating. You, I've learned Mm -hmm. to cope. It's part of the hardship in life. I don't consider myself, um, to, to be a victim. Um, but. The, the kind of health struggles that my wife, Hillary, has had. And if you don't know about Hillary, she's the founder of Mama Bear Apologetics. She travels around and speaks and teaches uh, from the books that she's written. Um, and I travel with her in part because she has chronic illness. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into all of it here, but it's the kind of thing that sticks with her. And we've been in church services before where a guest speaker comes up and begins to preach that God wants everybody well, and that by the power of your declarations and the the fervency of your faith, you can abolish any sickness or ailments from your household by the the strength of your faith and the declarations you make. That's health and wellness gospel. And that was, yeah.
1: Well, let me say, now that you say that like that, how does this relate to, let's say, this faith healing movement? Right, because I come from a, from a yeah. Hispanic background, and I know that that's very prevalent in the Hispanic charismatic church. So how, how does that
0: uh, correlate to what you're saying? Well, it, it could be thought of as sort of a species or, or a degree of the faith healing movement. Mm. Um, many people who hold to this health and wellness gospel uh, will say that it's okay to go to doctors, but you don't need them as much as you think you do, if at all. Um, There are different degrees of this view. And and when we're talking about this health doctrine, um, I'm talking about the kind that I've encountered through hyper charismatic groups, not just people who believe have a more active understanding of the Holy Spirit. Charismatic gifts. I'm talking about hyper charismatic groups, which ascribe to this third wave of the charismatic movement. So it started with Pentecostal revival, and then you had the more traditional charismatic movement, and then you've got more of the hyper charismatic, uh, which was probably like 1980s onward. Um, And it's noted by churches like Bethel and the Vineyard movement. It's also called Third Wave or neo-charismatic churches. And in many ways, these third-wave or hyper-charismatic groups, uh, they've learned from the mistakes, uh, the excesses of, say, certain charismatic churches, which would be straight up health and wealth teachers or would be faith healers. And they'd tell people, and some of them, not all, some of them would say, uh, don't consult doctors that's proven you don't have enough faith and your child will never get well if you go to a doctor. You, oh. Only God can heal you. And and that kind of dichotomy between healing by faith or doctors, that's more of a a faith healing divide or faith healing direction. Whereas the health gospel that I've heard, there's often skepticism towards doctors, but they're not as likely to say you shouldn't go to doctors. Uh, They're more likely to say you can go to doctors if you want. They can help. They can heal. They can be agents of healing. Uh, But the, the crux of this health gospel is that God doesn't want anyone to be sick. And whether he's using natural medicine or supernatural healing, everybody, everybody, everybody has access to healing here and now, because it's never God's will that they be sick. So on top of that that you just said, uh, what other things make this this
1: health and wellness doctrine so so attractive, you think?
0: Well, the, the attraction's pretty easy to see if you just step back. Um for people who've been burned over, we might not notice it at first, but for people who aren't burned over and do have some hope, do have some faith in this direction, the Bible does talk about healing. Uh, it showcases healing through Jesus's ministry, through prophets and apostles. Um, there's there's a rich and interesting doctrine of divine healing to be found in Scripture that any given church anywhere of any denomination has to account for cuz it's in there cuz it's in scripture mm. there is a doctrine of healing in scripture um what that unpacks as what what that translates into that's where the the conflict comes in uh, also we don't really want to suffer ourselves, and we don't necessarily want other people to suffer. That's a good uh, Christ-honoring humanitarian impulse in us to want to alleviate people's suffering. So that's a good thing to try to alleviate people's suffering. And also, it's simple. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just pray the pain away? Uh, this, This is a way to kind of translate the complexities of an interpersonal relationship with God where He might disagree with us and we don't understand His will and His ways, it translates that interpersonal complexity into something that's closer to a formula. And everybody wants that. We would love to have the kind of uh, religion where you could put two quarters in or whatever it is, uh, $5 right, right. Tap, for- Tap your card now and <laughs> Tap maybe... your card. Yeah. <laughs> I'm showing my age. Uh, you could just treat your religion like a vending machine. Just insert right. the money and you get the results. That would be mm. so much simpler. And this kind of leans that way. Also, it's self-affirming and everybody is egocentric. We, right. we start- Thinking us first. If you look at a picture, a group picture, say you, say you go open up your your uh, uh, high school, um, I don't know, gamers club or your uh, football team or cheer squad. Who's the first person you look for in that group photo? Yourself. You. Because mm-hmm. we're because we're egocentric, we are self-serving. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing, though it easily and quickly becomes one. But the golden rule itself hinges on this basic: uh, do unto others how, as you would do, have them do unto yourself. Mm-hmm. Love your neighbor as yourself. The reference point that it's assumed we know and understand is what do we want. That's the mm-hmm. thing we know. That's what we're familiar with the most, because that's what we focus on the most. Mm-hmm. But that's the moral um, that, that's where we start our moral calculus to be able to understand what's good. I should treat others as I would like to be treated. Oh, okay, now mm-hmm. that makes sense. And so the self-interest isn't necessarily bad, though obviously it quickly becomes selfishness and you know, making an idol out of ourselves. But there's another thing that I think is is more subtle in the appeal of this health doctrine, and it's that it lends a sense of control. Mm. We all want a little more control over the circumstances in our lives, over our environment, over where we get to be in this big story. And this creates a sense of, oh, I have more empowerment than I would have thought otherwise, than naturally afforded to me.
1: Isn't that interesting that it, it it turns the gospel in its head that we ought to be relying on God and in this you kind of rely on God, but you kinda of the one yeah. pushing the buttons, right? You're like you yeah. say, you're kinda of deciding what to get out of this this Yahweh vending machine, you know, of health. Yeah. Right. It's very interesting. Yeah. So there are good things and bad things about, you know, ideas like this. Can you tell us a little bit about the good and then ease into maybe a, a critique of why we should yeah. be aware of this. And, and I, I mean, knowing that this hit home, I'm sure that you have done some deep, dig deep in on the topic. So I'm sure that our audience wants to hear it.
0: Yeah, this this topic, um, it, as, as you point out, as you acknowledge, it does hit close to home for me. I, I mentioned Hillary earlier. I mentioned my own um, uh, chronic illness. And uh, I think a lot of people can relate. A lot of people see uh, passages in Scripture about how Jesus healed everybody who came to him. We see Elijah healing. We see the apostles or the disciples before the risen Christ, they were healing. And then after the risen Christ, they were healing. And we see Paul talking about different healings. And that's in Scripture. And, And we yearn for that. We want that in our lives. And yet when we pray, it doesn't always get answered. Sometimes it does. Uh, but one of the good things about this this doctrine that I don't want to re- skip past is that it's partially true. There is some truth to it. We don't get this just out of thin air. We get it from Scripture. It's just a, a stretching beyond what Scripture really permits. That's how we get to this doctrine. Um, it's partially true. And even as I acknowledge that good aspect of this teaching, uh, we have to step back and say some of the most insidious lies are almost true. That's Hmm. what makes them so dangerous, is they're so close to correct that they, they slip past all the defenses, all our guards, and finally get in close to a vulnerable part in our hearts. And then the error comes out. Then we realize, oh, it wasn't quite right. It wasn't c- quite what Scripture teaches. This isn't exactly how Jesus does it. It's just a little off. Uh, so that partial truth is a good thing, but it also means it can be especially dangerous because it can get past our defenses. Because it sounds like, hey, they mentioned Jesus. They're quoting Scripture. They're getting this from the Bible. Oh, they're, they're talking about the gospel. I agree with all of that stuff. And yeah. then they say, oh, God wants everybody well. It's never God's will that people be sick. So mm. it's it's got a biblical basis there. Um, and biblically, we do know healing miracles do happen. Yeah, I didn't just say they did happen, but they do, or at least they can happen. Now, I'm yeah. not going to – go ahead. It's God's prerogative, yeah. And I think that
1: that's one of the things that if God exists, and he does – then we have to be open to the possibility of miracles. And we've seen um, accounts that are well-documented of Mm -hmm. modern-day miracles.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of hucksters out there. And and I think we all can admit that. There's a lot of Mm -hmm, fakes and frauds out there. A lot of charlatans, money-grubbing and whatnot. I'm not claiming that everybody who says, God healed me, is falling in that camp. But there is that camp. It does exist. But as you pointed out, Jorge, um, we're dealing with something that transcends the what's called the cessationist-continuationist debate. Cessationists say these sign gifts, these particular charismatic gifts that, that showcase God's power in spectacular ways and draw attention to the gospel and people get saved— Cessationists say that was for the first century at the latest, maybe Mm -hmm. 120 or 150 AD, uh, but that's not happening anymore. Cessationists say it has ceased, cessation. Mm -hmm. Continuationists say it's continuing. It's still ongoing. We don't have to dive into that debate to acknowledge that God is omnipotent. So if God wants to heal him, you and I aren't stopping him. Nobody's stopping him. If God wants to do a healing, he can, regardless of what these theological camps say. Another appeal about the the healing gospel or or this health gospel is that, of course, it's attractive in that it can draw people to the church to hear more about this and maybe find healing. I, I know of uh, Nabeel Qureshi. He, he died a few years back of stomach cancer, mm-hmm. and he went to uh one of these churches uh to find out more now how, now he was a believer but how yeah. many people aren't believers and you know they've tried everything and they're like right i'll do what i can and, and yeah, you can't yeah, really yeah. fault someone for 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 that for trying. they go to church yeah. for hoping and so they might get there and they might actually hear enough of the gospel and come to meet jesus so that mm-hmm. whether they're healed or not they still have that core thing in place and so whatever good god's bringing out of these churches i do not dare want to squash that. And I don't want to make it sound like all of these churches are totally wackadoo cults. Some of them do have the gospel right.
1: Right. And I think that's one of the things that we want to say that when we, you're saying that some of these, um, I think you call it uh, hyper...
0: uh, Hyper charismatic or third wave or neo-charismatic. Yeah, third wave. Yeah,
1: Yeah, we are not putting every charismatic brother and sister in... This category, so mm-hmm. we have to be very careful, and and we want to let our audience know that that's not what we are doing. That we are very charitable, even mm-hmm. with those who are within this hyper charismatic mm-hmm. um, line, right? So, mm-hmm. with that being said, there are places where we have to be careful. Uh, yeah. As Christians, have to be discerning. So that's all yeah. we're trying to say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a really important clarifier because we can't make sure that this podcast only goes out to the people that are part of problematic, especially problematic churches. In the real world, you're going to get a mixture. You're going to get. Uh, I haven't yet met a pastor who didn't accidentally say a little heresy here and there, I haven't yet met an atheist who hasn't said a little truth here and there. Mm -hmm. And so you've got a mixture because that's how the real world is. You've got wheats and tares growing up together. It's the same with truth Mm -hmm. and lies. And that's why we have to be discerning. Uh, That's why we do what we do at Cross-Examine. Absolutely. Uh, So I would add, as far as the goods that can be found with this this, uh, health and wellness gospel, uh, it can reflect a genuine effort to be biblical. Maybe someone grew up in a cessationist church, thinking that none of this stuff goes on, and they're trying to be faithful to the text, and they don't see something explicitly cessationist in the text. So they open themselves up to the doctrine of healing um, and, and aren't quite sure where to where it stops. And so that's something they might not find out till later. Um, it's also, in some sense, important, vitally important to recognize that God, in His goodness, does want everyone to be well they get this part right. God does, in some sense, want everyone to be well. And I think that's why he created heaven. That's what mm-hmm. heaven's about. Everyone who who receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior will eventually be well. If you've got uh, palsy, if you've got asthma, if you've got kidney disease, whatever you've got in heaven, in your glorified body, you won't, you won't have you pain and suffering well. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately everyone will be well. The question of course is, uh, when does that happen for, for everybody? Is it only in heaven or is it mostly in heaven? Is it rarely in heaven and most of it happens on earth? That's where the, <laughs> that's where the disagreement falls. Yeah. 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 Uh,
1: you, that's where you moved in. it and a lot of them, you know, just say, well, it's, it's got to be now because look yeah. at it. it. Look, look at this. It's in scripture. Yeah. And that's why being a good student of the Scriptures and being equipped to know how to how to really dig into them and not being swayed by somebody's thoughts and ideas is very important. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. and and you just reminded me that one of the other aspects that, that tends to come along with this teaching is an end-times theology focus, taking very seriously the notion that that heaven and hell are real, that judgment's coming, and that we need to get right with God. Mm-hmm. The people who th- who recognize these biblical realities uh, may, may take seriously those prophetic passages talking yeah. about signs and wonders happening in the end times. And, you know, they could be right. There could be an increase in signs and wonders, including healing miracles that are telling us, hey, The end is near. It could be this next president, could be this next, uh, NATO captain or whatever, could be this Mm -hmm. next, uh, celebrity that ends up being the Antichrist. I mean, taking end time seriously, while there are a lot of people that go to crazy extremes with it, it's still biblical and we're justified in taking that judgment day seriously and living accordingly. Uh, moreover, we also should be, we also should be agents of healing. We need to be seeking out medical health and wellness, watching our diet, uh, right. trying to encourage and uplift people because the mental aspect still part of the physical, right. uh, and then supernaturally praying for healing. Yeah. And if someone has the gift of healing, I'm not saying that's active today, I'm not saying it's inactive, but if someone were to have that, they should be using their using gifts to God's glory. God.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting that you say that because uh, I just got back uh, about a week ago from... Uh, Uh, my friend and and, close friend and mentor, Dr. Uh, Michael S. Heiser. And, uh, you know, we did this memorial. And um, I remember praying, praying until the very end that he would be healed, right? That he would be a great testimony. But also that didn't mean that um, we didn't uh, try and help him get as much help as possible through the Mayo Clinic down in Jacksonville. So now you touch on both of these sides right we, we do yeah. want you to through medicine and and in and, and, and at the same time through prayer you know mm-hmm. we should act as agents of healing and that's very very yes. important that's a very good thing
0: yeah yeah and, and that tension that you felt can you imagine how disillusioning it would have been if it's your thought that you just need to be fessed up on your sin and be prayed up and have enough faith, and that healing is guaranteed. Mm. If that's your belief, and it doesn't happen, and you've done everything in your willpower, everything you know to do it, and it doesn't happen, that creates a disillusionment. No, it could and that be. That can it, feed deconversion and just uh,
1: bust the back that, door of the church wide open. That's what I was gonna say, man. It could be soul crushing. You, you, you will mm. leave your faith right there and walk away. Yeah, yeah. It's so, so dangerous, man.
0: Yeah, and that that segues naturally into what's what's wrong with this yeah. doctrine, with this teaching. Um, the the segue is that first off, we're talking about a partial truth and understanding Scripture as is, and then uh, reconciling it with things like the Book of Job and and how we can relate to Job. We know what that feels like. We've seen that. Uh, we know people who are like that. Um, But that's still part of the counsel of Scripture. So whatever we teach about healing, it's got to account for Job. It's got to account for Paul's thorn in the flesh, has to account for the cross. Uh, That if there was a way to do this that didn't involve death and suffering and pain and sickness, then, then Jesus should have come up with something better than a cross to do it. If those were all secondary, unnecessary, they didn't serve some redeeming value. Uh, and so I think that the crux of this, the overarching uh, critique of this uh, health doctrine is, if it's not true for the persecuted church, it's not true. All right. If it doesn't work in Christian churches in Iraq – where people, if they just say the name of Jesus in the wrong way, they might get arrested and killed. Mm -hmm. If it's not true for them, then it's not true. If it doesn't work for them, then it doesn't work for the Bible and for Christ. Now, if I had to unpack this, in sum, the health and wellness gospel, it reduces the Bible to a spell book. Say these words and God has to to give you what you requested.
1: When you said that... um one of the things that you know they usually so it's like they they reduce God into a formula so things that came to mind with spells mm-hmm. was was uh you know the 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 things that you see on these TV shows where they say something and poof something happened yeah. so that's that's very important we yeah. have to make sure that we don't do that with God
0: yeah. Yeah. It reduces the Bible to a spell book. It treats God like a vending machine. Again, depersonalizing, trying to reduce it to a, an easy to control formula. It also, and this this really gets me, it blames the victim. It blames the victim. Mm. It says that sickness, that ailment, that hardship that you're facing, it's because you didn't pray fault. hard enough. Yeah, it's it's your, your fault. Yes, it's your fault. Oh. And, that, and that just adds insult to injury. And that's that's what gets me hot. When I heard that teaching at that one church, I don't want to name any names. I don't think the leaders of that church knew what was coming and saw it coming when they at, had mm-hmm. a guest speaker speak that. So I don't want to cast any shadow on or shade on that church. But when I heard that, Papa Bear came out i want to I, I want to start fighting somebody over that because they just kicked my wife while she's down and at that time she was pending a cancer diagnosis mm-hmm. uh, they didn't yet know what was going on with her they didn't know where the blood was going they didn't know why she was always anemic why she was always weak why her electrolytes were always off they couldn't figure it out and they were throwing everything against the wall to see what would stick And this guy comes up, and even though she's praying her heart out, she's confessing, she's got whole teams of people praying over her, this guy came and said, it's your fault. You don't have enough faith. Or worse, Mm. it's because you like being sick. You want to be sick. You may not realize you want it, but you want to be sick. And that's just such a a harsh, such an ungodly stance to take. So it blames the victim. It also completely botches the problem of evil. Uh, the problem of evil. Uh, we've got plenty of podcasts and and materials on it on mm-hmm. the website. But to sum it up here, it's the question of uh, how can there be a good God when there's evil in the world? And the the quick answer to that, and there's not a really quick satisfying answer. But if we had to rush through one, it would sound something like that, like this: uh, character development, uh, free will. And and God can bring good out of it in various different ways that were not goods that weren't possible without it, goods that that didn't make sense without it, like forgiveness. How can everyone how can anyone know what forgiveness is without something to forgive? How can people know courage unless there's something scary uh to, to face up to? So there are certain goods, there's character development, um uh natural law. that that there are consequences. So, gravity, one of the hardships of gravity is that you fall sometimes, rocks fall, uh, rain comes down, can create floods, things like that. But having a naturally ordered world is still good. So, that's just the quick rush job through the problem of evil. But if all sickness and suffering is against God's will, is outside of God's will, then all that character development uh, risks, it kind of washes out. It doesn't make Mm. sense the same way if all of these things are against God's will. So, is the character development that was contingent on that sickness, is that against God's will too? How does how does that work? Uh, moreover, the, the problem of evil, I think one of the reasons it's such a powerful challenge is that the experience of sickness and suffering is so universal. Everybody yeah. feels it. Everybody knows it. Everybody encounters it. And people who try to diminish it and act like it's not real or it's not a big deal – they they come off as unrealistic, as, as you know, pie in the sky, not not really connecting to the real world. So the problem of evil, I think, is a very important subject area that Christians need to account for, and the health gospel um, just does a total disservice to it. Uh, moreover, the health gospel creates unmet expectations, which drives believers to disillusionment and bitterness. And immaturity and even deconversion,
1: yeah, that's what we said earlier. It's very, very dangerous because mm-hmm. it can crush somebody's soul if you know X, y, and C, or so and so don't get healed or I don't get healed. Yeah. it can really uh, push you over the edge when it comes to your your faith.
0: It can set a roadblock in your spiritual maturity because okay. you're stuck at that unresolved uh, uh, crossroads. You don't know how to go forward and and emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, you can kind of be handicapped right there because that's the point where you felt abandoned by God. That's the Mm -hmm. point where that unanswered prayer left you not knowing that you could trust his hand anymore so you you didn't feel safe or comfortable or willing to keep walking with him because you thought Mm -hmm. he let go of your hand and just abandoned you to sickness because it was your view that God doesn't allow sickness. God never wants sickness in your life well what if he does what if he does want sickness in your life in this in the broader sense allowed, of his sovereign yeah. will not, yeah in the sense of his permissive will as opposed to uh, his efficacious or effective will yeah. so um, I'll come back to that point but it also and this connects to what we just said the health gospel or the the health and wellness gospel it gives the enemies of our faith a lot of free ammunition against Christianity. Meanwhile, it's not doing us any favors. It's Absolutely. making our jobs harder. I've
1: heard it time and time again, especially when I'm doing live streams or when I'm somewhere speaking. I mean, it's one of the main things that that I hear because he turns Christianity into a caricature a lot of yeah. the times. And when uh, skeptics, you know, when people who are uh, antithetical mm-hmm. to the Christian faith see that they're going to load that into their double barrel shotgun and shoot it back at you. And it yeah. really does some damage, especially yeah. when those shards ricochet and people are listening and they're like, Oh yeah, I know I had an aunt that that happened to her and this, that, and the third. And and we are not going to the scriptures, you know, to show why Christianity is true. We are mm-hmm. going to these, these anecdotes that actually, yes. again, make a mockery of our Lord. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's um, well said, well said. So it to summarize, this gospel of health and wellness is so dangerous and so problematic because it reduces the Bible to a spell book. It treats God like a vending machine. Mm-hmm. It blames the victim. Mm-hmm. It botches the problem of evil. It creates unmet expectations, driving believers to disillusionment, bitterness, immaturity, and deconversion. And lastly, it gives the enemies of the faith lots of free ammunition against Christianity, and it isn't doing us any favors in the meantime. So that's kind of the the big summary the broad, ob- yeah. objection to this health and wellness gospel. But there's we have to get into some of the specifics, because there is a biblical case for it. I just don't think it's the fairest, most comprehensive biblical case mm-hmm. regarding what is true about health and healing. Uh, the, the biblical case, the more comprehensive one, is going to correct this, not as something that's anti-Scripture, but something that's a distortion of Scripture. It takes truth in Scripture and stretches it till it's not true anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That's interesting. So, theologically
1: speaking, biblically speaking, what 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 can you tell us uh, in terms of, of going over this you know health and wellness doctrine and how can we really get into it with, with, with God's Word?
0: Well, first off, when you're coming to the text of Scripture, um, how you interpret the scripture isn't always obvious. The same text can be interpreted in different ways. And so we've got that challenge of how do we figure out what it really means? And that that art and science of discerning what does it mean, that's called hermeneutics. Uh, normal people just call it interpretation. Um, how do we do it right? Well, one of the ways, one of the, the tips and strategies for, for doing biblical interpretation correctly is uh, trying to let it speak in its own voice. What do the authors most likely intend to say and try to get at what they were most likely trying to say at that time in their context? It, it's not going to mean something now that it never meant back then, mm-hmm. at least generally speaking. Uh, so when we come to the text of Scripture, we should understand, for example, general truths like we see in Psalms and Proverbs and a lot of the poetic literature. These are generally true. They're not necessarily explicit promises for everyone everywhere. So if you find a psalm or a proverb about how this practice, this behavior, this word, heals or brings healing. You can't treat that like an exact promise in every case. It's a general truth. It's elucidating a principle that gives us wisdom, because that's how wisdom literature works. If it wasn't wisdom literature, but was saying, this is exactly what you need to do every time, that would be the law. That's a different genre of scripture. The Torah, the first five books are devoted to here's what you should do. If this Mm -hmm. happens, do that. If that happens, do this it's it's a different category of scripture. So one of the problems with health and wellness gospel teaching is that they tend to look at a general principle and will treat it like it's an exact promise every time. Mm. Also, there's a tendency to to get sort of the time frame confused by mistaking promises that are guaranteed for heaven as if they apply here in human history but here and here now. And now yeah yeah but according to revelation twenty one four full healing isn't guaranteed till heaven mm-hmm. there there's a a level, a degree, a kind of healing that that isn't suited for this place just yet. The, the wheat and the tares need to grow up together a little bit more before the harvest. And that means that we're going to have the tares, or uh, continuing with the biblical language, that's going to be the the sinners, the non-believers. But, but broadly, uh, all the effects of the sinful world are still allowed to keep doing their thing. Mm. And that's going to be hampering and, and restraining us. But Here's the good thing, and here's where problem of evil comes in. This creates a context where we can grow as disciples. We can learn and grow stronger through resistance training. We can practice uh, authority and growing in spiritual maturity, because according to Genesis 1 and Revelation 22, we were designed by God to share authority as delegate authorities under yeah. him. Yeah. the image of god we're image bearers if if someone has the the uh, signet ring of the king his image so to speak that's uh, that's entrusted to someone who represents that god or yeah. that a king or that that authority and that's what we're supposed to be doing in this context with sin with rebellious people with people who are using their will against god's will this creates a context for us to learn judgment, authority, decision-making, and how to rule in ways that will bring mm-hmm. honor to Him, so that when we're in heaven and we judge the angels, it won't be our first time making right. making God-honoring judgments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we're in the here and now, and heaven is not yet. Uh, but we look to heaven. We've got little peepholes into heaven. And people who, who get those two, who overlap them too much can get confused as to what's true now versus what's not going to be true till heaven. Also, another line of biblical critique is that this doctrine confuses God's effective will and his permissive will. So, there's a few theological distinctions that we can make here. So, we've got God's sovereign will. God, who is in control of everything, has ordained and and orchestrated everything so that nothing ultimately happens without at least his permission. There is not one event that has ever surprised God, ever. Uh, Now, did God directly do every one of those things? Not necessarily. He can indirectly do it. He could permit it. Um, But God is sovereign over all of these things so that everything ultimately falls within his will in the broadest sense. But when it comes to things that would implicate God as sinful or sick or deviant, we have, to, we have to recognize that there's different kinds of will going on here. There's permissive yeah. will, what God allows, and then there's his effective will, what God achieves. We could also talk about his dispositional will, that is, what pleases God. God is pleased by uh, praise and worship. God is pleased by obedience and charity and love and sacrifice and truth and goodness. He's pleased by all of those things, so there's a sense in which that is God's will. And that which displeases God, that is not part of his dispositional will. He doesn't Mm -hmm. want that. Now, can something happen that God doesn't want? Well, sort of yes, but sort of no. Can something happen that's outside of his sovereign will? No. Can something happen that displeases God? Sure, happens all the time. And so if we don't make these important theological distinctions, we can get ourselves really confused. Yeah. and I think this doctrine hinges on a fundamental confusion between efficacious versus permissive will.
1: interesting And tell us um, I know that we are looking at the the scripture. is this truly something that we can say put our finger on and say hey this is is, is this biblical? Really, all the way, or is this something that is just borderline on on icy Jesus and and in, in bad interpretation? How how would you go about looking into this?
0: Well, I would say it's not biblical enough, and that's where it gets off track. Uh, it's a biblically starved theology. It's fed quite often with a few proof texts that outside of the larger context, outside of the larger story and the narrative it sounds like an explicit promise that pray and God will heal you. As long as you say these words, as long as you say it's in Jesus' name, or as long as you declare it, God will heal you. And we take that outside of this context and then keep feeding our biblical worldview with just those proof texts, and we end up kind of starved of the whole counsel of Scripture. As, and so it's it's like only having one color food, and only one uh, nutrient type on your plate at any given time. You could be fat, overfed, and still be malnourished because you're hyper-focusing on part of what God's revealing without the balancing, rounding out of the rest of the counsel of Scripture. That's a good way to put it, yeah. Yeah. So, for example, the, the health and wellness gospel tends to be very weak on... Job, the Book of Job, the story of Job, and all the different aspects of Scripture that touch on the similar problem of why does God allow evil in the world, there's a there's a very rich biblical theology exploring this topic. And instead of taking all of that material from Job, uh, from I believe it's Malachi, uh, from Jeremiah and from Lamentations and and the other wisdom books. Uh, from Revelation. There's a lot speaking to the problem of evil in Scripture. And if you just jump to this wellness doctrine, you you end up having to kind of suppress or downplay or ignore a lot of the rest of Scripture on this. Uh, also, you end up with this, if you follow this wellness doctrine more fully, you end up with weak or contradictory uh, positions on persecution texts like John sixteen thirty three in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. Now, you're probably thinking, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Yes, Jesus overcomes it. Uh, And there's some sense in which people will be delivered, which we're talking about before. In heaven, all wrongs are made right. Everything is resolved ultimately in heaven. But shy of heaven, persecution is the norm. Trouble is the norm. It doesn't say in this world, you will only have trouble if you sin or doubt. It doesn't add those qualifiers. The norm, the, the given, is you will have trouble. Now, to be fair, some health teachers don't include persecution in their health doctrine. They've looked at this and said, okay, well, there's got to be a category for persecution. Maybe not sickness, but persecution. And that's, that's a more nuanced position that uh, could account for John 16, But you still end up with, John, with Paul's thorn in the flesh. Mm-hmm. He prays for healing and f- for restoration. And God says, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Basically, Paul is better injured than healthy. Mm. And frankly, anybody who's been a parent and who knows a bratty kid, or when it when your child's whining, yeah. and when they when they finally hurt themselves, just this is more of an analogy. I'm not saying I don't want to stretch this too far, um, but they injure themselves, and then they're then they're more meek and quiet and less brassy and less mean spirited because now they're hurt. Frankly, many of us haven't really matured beyond that to where we need uh, a thorn in the flesh to keep us humble, to keep us wise, to keep us uh, level headed. And I think God knows that about us. And when we're honest about ourselves, we know that about ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think Paul's thorn in the flesh is uh, is no different. Uh, also, Scripture dignifies the body. And I even wrote a, a dissertation on this topic called Body mm-hmm. Ethics. Um, and that includes health and wellness. Health and wellness as concepts are included in how Scripture dignifies the body. It's good to be healthy. It's good to cultivate wellness and well-being but the bible isn't preoccupied with the body mm. the body is good i don't want to don't want to go platonic and say well the, the body's just a, a cage for the soul i'm not no. saying that the body is part of who we are but it's not all of what we are And it's not nothing either. Somewhere in that balance, we have a a biblical sense of the dignity of the body. It's just not everything about us, though. Our bodies, in terms of health, fitness, and wellness, is to be offered up to God as a living sacrifice. sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And in this way, the apostles could rejoice in being counted worthy of suffering for Christ. It's not that their bodies weren't important or that pain and injury didn't matter, but that discipleship was so valuable that purchasing discipleship at the low, low price of persecution was a bargain in their eyes. We could add another aspect of the, the scriptural critique here is that not only is the health and wellness gospel a bit uh starved of of a robust whole council of scripture, but even the scriptures that health doctrine does interact with it often misinterprets and misrepresents mm-hmm. them in biblical history miracles and by miracles i'm I'm talking uh the strong sense of of Interact, interventions of God that testify to his message and his character and point attention back to him, those kinds of explicit miracles, especially when it comes to healing, these are rare. They're not happening all over the pages of Scripture. They're happening in concentrated chunks. But we tend to skip over the, the 400 years that Israel spent uh, in Egypt before the plagues and the big actions of God. We tend to skip over the 30 years between uh, Abraham when he first heard from God and the time he finally had Isaac and saw a miracle testifying that that really was God's voice. We tend to skip over the lag time in between the, the mirac- miraculous interventions. But that's where most of history is, It's that lag time. In that distance between miracles, but you you do see miracle history in Scripture. You see creation. You see uh, the time of Abraham. You see the time of of Moses. Uh, you see the you see Jesus and the disciples. There's lots of miracles happening in different spots, but they're concentrated with big wilderness <laughs> gaps in between, mm-hmm. and that's what most of human history is like. That's what most human experience is like. So we should kind of, from a biblical perspective, expect miracles to be rare. We should expect them to be rare. And yet, one of the emphases of um, many hyper-charismatic churches, I can't say all of them, I don't know about whether all or the majority of them are like this, but many are. They'll teach that the, the miracles that Jesus and the disciples did are just as relevant for today. And we can all do that. We can mm. all have all the the sign gifts and we can all claim healing ourselves from whatever sickness we have. And that's kind of assuming that those gaps in the biblical report of how miracles work, those gaps are an anomaly when in reality, that's the majority. This is the, mor- the norm, yeah. 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 But taking, taking it, text by text, I want to look at some of the key passages that health doctrine teachers will focus on. Uh, One of the biggest is going to be James 5, 14 through 16. I'm going to read it in the NIV, and you'll see why in just a moment. James 5, 14 through 16. Is anyone among you sick? Right. Get the elders together, pray, use some anointing oil, and you will be healed. Right there, biblical yeah. promise, I'm claiming it for myself, I decree it, and it must happen. Now, hold on a second. There might be a translational issue here when you dig down in the text, and and I don't want to play the Greek game, I'm, this isn't like a competitive nerddom here, but yeah. I want to make sure that this unusual passage... Uh, is not an anomaly and that I understand it correctly. And when we come to tough passages or t- passages that teach different from what seems to be normal, seems to be common, it's fair to step back and say, okay, what's the word here? What does this look like in the original languages? If we can do that, if we can pull up a Strong's Concordance, we might have an advantage in getting to what James was talking about here. And I think one of the big issues is there is a translational issue. The, word, the phrase translated, make the sick well, if you look at a different translation, say the ESV, the English Standard Version, or the Net Bible uh, and others, I think the the conventional translation of this now is not what the NIV says, but what the ESV says. It says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Mm. Will save the one who is sick. Why mm. does it say Save. Because the word is sozo, which in Greek the, the most common translation for sozo is or soze. It's it's uh, that's the how it trans, that's the actual word. It's a ver, it's a, a form of the word sozo. Um, the normal translation for sozo is to save. And, and so, why would the prayer of the faith save the one who is sick? Well, that would make sense if the sick person was on their deathbed. This is quite possibly talking about last rites. If someone mm. is sick and is still unforgiven, still in their sins, or still not sure where they, where they stand with God, let's get first things first. Let's make sure they know Jesus so that if they die, they're going to heaven. Last rites, I think, is a great account for what's going on here. Now, I think this is still dealing in the ballpark of healing, But I think the first things first that it's focusing on is getting right with God. And that's why it says, um, I'll read the ESV here. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. That could be a notation about resurrection. This is going to be a person who can be resurrected. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So it's talking about being saved, being resurrected, and being forgiven. That makes sense if their eternal soul was the, the thing most concerning here rather than the condition of their body. Not that the body's unimportant, but salvation and going to heaven is the more important at this point. Then then it says in verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another. The focus here isn't on physical healing. Physical healing is present, but that's Mm -hmm. in the background because salvation and forgiveness and confession and resurrection is in the foreground. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Mm. So... That, that's one of those passages, that's that's a proof text, that's one of the key yeah. passages used to defend this notion of, of guaranteed healing if you just pray and have faith.
1: That's really good the way that you did that, John. Let's pick up just a couple of more before we wrap up, uh, because Sounds we want to make sure that our audience see how this works in terms of the passages that are used in yeah. order to show that this position is true. So before you conclude the episode today, let's go ahead
0: and do a couple more. Okay, so let's take a look at Exodus fifteen twenty six. 26. Um, this is in the Mosaic era, so Moses, uh, in the time that he's, he's about to be giving out the law. Mount Sinai is coming in Exodus 20. We're in Exodus 15 right now. And it says... "...if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer." So this sounds like obey and you won't get sick. Like, like there's a, a faith, obedience, uh, sin issue going on here that that's the, that's the solution to avoid ever being sick. But he's addressing ancient Israel. This is a conditional promise under the Mosaic law, which Jesus fulfilled the Mosaic law. We're not under the Mosaic law anymore. We're under the law of grace in Christ. Uh, That's in Matthew 5, I think 517. The conditional promise under the Mosaic law. And it refers to a general collective truth for Israel, ancient Israel. Now, I, I don't buy into replacement theology. I don't right. think that the church just replaces Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a sense in which we're grafted in, but we aren't replacing the whole tree. Uh, I think there's still a, a future role that God has in store for for biological, literal, historic, genealogical Israel. Uh, but back then, what applied in that theocracy, that that you might say church-state fusion, that was theocratic Israel, Um, there are promises that God has for them that don't extend to people who aren't part of that theocracy, who aren't under the Mosaic covenant. And, and even for them, what would you say, for example, when they go into battle and God has promised them victory and they still lost 30 troops, they might've wiped out 3000, but they still lost 30 troops. That's 30 troops that coming back, their families don't get their, their husband or their father back. Is, is God's will that, that they suffer or is God's will deliverance for them? Well, you end up with that, that, that tricky territory of collective versus individual fulfillment. God has promised them collectively as a whole nation, not just as individuals. This isn't extensive to each individual. It's generally true for the whole group. That's critically important. And so Exodus 15, 26 doesn't necessarily apply to individual Christians in the church era, outside of the Mosaic era, and who aren't part of genealogical Israel. Uh, Lastly, we'll cover one more verse here. Isaiah 53 gets mentioned a lot. Isaiah 53 verses four through five. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You'll hear people quote that phrase. And that by his often, wounds, we are healed. Yeah. Um In context, yes, is there healing that's going to come in heaven? Absolutely. There is a literal fulfillment of that. And there are peaks and glimpses into that even here and now that people can find, find healing. It's not guaranteed and it's not in every case, but it's generally true that we can have healing in our relationships. We can have healing in, in our family. We can have healing in our bodies. Uh, we can have healing in our, healing in our minds. Uh, but the healing that Jesus brings first and foremost here, is messianic prophecy fulfillment. Jesus is going to confirm that he's the Messiah by healing people on earth. And he did that. And he's going to complete the project in heaven. And in, in the meantime, there's still going to be generally some healings, it seems to be, but those aren't guaranteed in every case if we follow the right formula. Uh, so that's that. there's a lot more we could cover there. But I want to... I want to note that what you have often with the health and wellness gospel are what look to be faith healers. Some of them are outright charlatans. Some of them are hucksters. They're trying to get your money, and they're trying to use the promise of healing to get money from you because you sow a seed of faith, and that's how you show your faith. And because you have faith, you'll be saved, and you'll you'll be healed. And they exploit that, and it's emotional manipulation, and it's despicable. Uh, But some of the ones might actually be well-intended. And even the well-intended ones, I think it's important to compare what they're doing with what Jesus did. Jesus Mm. set the standard and he continued it through his disciples who became the apostles after the resurrection. This is what healing looks like. Jesus and the apostles healed every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. But modern-day faith healers will only heal selective diseases, such as leg lengthening, which is an easy parlor trick, uh, or back pain or arthritis, or things that could be psychosomatic. Uh, These are very hard to confirm and very hard to disconfirm, and that's why you see those kinds of things uh, proliferate, Mm -hmm. because who can tell if it's it's legit? Jesus and the apostles brought people back from the dead— but modern-day faith healers have never attempted something like this. They've claimed it, but they've never been able to show that they could actually do it. Um, the miracles in Scripture were attested to, even or were, I'm sorry, were attested by, and some of them were performed on even non-believers. Mm-hmm. For instance, even Pharaoh's magicians attributed m- Moses's miracles to the quote finger of God, and those miracles. Those, those plagues happened to people who didn't believe in God. Uh, moreover, Jesus' enemies didn't deny his miracles. Instead, they attributed his miraculous powers to Satan. So they said they happened. They just, <laughs> they just got the source wrong. But by contrast, secular investigators have repeatedly debunked the miracle claims of faith healers, showing that they are demonstrably false. Now, these last four points come from I want to give credit where it credits to a guy named James uh, Rochford Rockford, in an article called Faith Healers on his site, Evidence Unseen. And the next bit comes from gotquestions.org uh, on our uh, faith healers for real. Jesus healed everybody who came to him instantly, totally, healing non-believers and believers alike, healing organic diseases, not just mild symptoms, mm-hmm. like I'm healed of my headache, Even raising people from the dead, faith healers pale in comparison. So we've got a substantial difference between a biblical, well-rounded doctrine of healing versus the health and wellness gospel, which all you have to do is add some wealth, and it's the health and wealth heresy, prosperity heresy. Um, This is very dangerous. It's especially insidious in that it punishes the victim and says it's your fault and that's what gets me so indignant about this. Mm-hmm. But I want to step back and and invite anybody who goes to a church like that or who's been teaching that, please reach out to us and let's have a conversation on this. I think there's lots of genuine, Jesus-loving, God-fearing people who've been snagged and brought in by this doctrine, and they, they are acting out of compassion. They mean well. And I want... want all of you out there who might be hearing this, who might be tempted by this doctrine uh, to take it to Scripture, uh, fact check this, correct this, uh, comment, interact with our materials on it. Let's hear you on this and don't break fellowship just because we disagree with you. Let's instead try to come to some resolution so that we're both understanding uh, the God who heals all the better.
1: Amen. Well said, John. And thank you for for really putting uh pen to paper for uh researching for uh doing all the work that you do here uh for us at CrossExamine.org, and and thank you for continuing to bring in this, this this super relevant topics today um on our podcast and on our writings if you guys haven't read any of john's blogs make sure that you make your way to CrossExamine.org. he writes there also if you want to interact directly with john you can go to the community just go to crossexamine.org uh, uh you know click on community you can join the community there and also don't forget uh this friday we're going to have frank back for the uh the main podcast edition and with that being said thank you all for listening to this meat week i don't have enough faith to be an atheist podcast john Thank you and thank everybody that are listening and God bless.